Hi, everybody. This is Adriana Trajani. I'm the host of You Are What You Read. I have the privilege of interviewing luminaries of our times about the books that shaped them from childhood until now. We get everybody from Sarah Jessica Parker to Kristen Hanna, Mitch Albom, Susie Essman, Craig Ferguson, Rain Wilson, Amor Tolls, you name it, they come, they share. New episodes of You Are What You Read drop every Tuesday on Apple, Spotify, or any major streaming platform wherever you listen to your podcasts. Thank you so much to our sponsor, Healing Insight Acupuncture and Holistic Medicine on Grand Avenue in St. Paul, Minnesota. Owner Senya May and her team of practitioners can help patients with everything from digestion to weight loss, autoimmune conditions to fertility, and so much more. But today we're talking about sleep. It is crucial to our health, and a lot of us aren't getting enough good quality rest. And Senya says things like stress or anxiety, a nutritional deficiency, or a hormonal imbalance can be impacting our sleep. Healing Insight can help with those issues and treat you with acupuncture, utilizing calming points on the wrist, on the heart meridian that help you finally relax and sleep, and recommending herbs to calm stress and supplements to balance hormones. I see Senya regularly. She places needles in strategic points and then just lets me rest. I call it an acupuncture nap, and it's like a full night of restorative sleep in about 30 minutes. Visit HealingInsightOnline.com to see Senia's gorgeous new website and learn all about all of the treatments she offers. That's HealingInsightOnline.com. I'm Marjorie Punnett. I'm Elizabeth Reese. This is Best of the Nest, the podcast that's all about creating strong, comfortable, beautiful nests that prepare us to fly. And you can you hear the giddiness in my voice? Because I'm so excited to talk to you. The gang is back together. The gang is back together, plus one. Who's joining us this morning? Well, Heathcliff Carl Reimers is cuddled up right on me. Oh, I know I said your name, didn't I? And he has been nursing, and now he's just laying on the nursing pillow, and he's cuddled up, and he's right where he wants to be, which is always right by Mama. <laughs> yes. Oh my gosh, Elizabeth. What does it feel like to have three children? It's crazy. I'm doing the, you know, I forget their names and I like say the wrong name, <laughs> which is very funny. And poor Heathcliff gets called Franklin a lot. Um, and it's just kind of managing them and balancing them. And it's been, it's just... Like anything that's an intense change, it's up and down. There are moments where I feel like we've got this and everything's good and I like love everyone. And then there are moments where everyone is crying or crabbing in the entire house and you're going, oh my gosh, get me out of here. It's it's a fascinating blend of highs and lows and I'm not going to sugarcoat it and be like, every single moment is so magical because it's certainly not. But that being said... We are really grateful to have a happy, healthy little baby. And yeah. um, it is, he's just a little joy. And the more kids you have, the more you realize how fast the tired newborn phase goes. Right. And so it's less hard, which is amazing for me, Marjorie, because the lack of sleep has always been the number one most difficult thing for me about having a baby. Like I cry, it's terrible. And I've really only had one day where I felt so, so tired that I cried. And that's pretty amazing for me because when I had Bernie, it was like maybe I had one day that I didn't cry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, that's so true with your first child. 
it does seem because it's such a jar to oh, the system. Zero to one does, is a brutal transition. It's a brutal transition. <laughs> and I, I remember standing in the pediatrician's office in Nashville because Gar, our oldest, just didn't sleep and oh. and just crying and saying, I, I can't, I cannot do this. Like, I can't do this. Can't, I cannot do this. And he just said, just you sleep. The baby will be fine. But it was just, it, it, you're exactly right. It's that transition from zero to the first one is brutal. Oh. And then you're right. After that, you sort of get it and you know that it ends and you know it's going to get better. I will say this, though, and I please don't cry when I say this. <laughs> I think I didn't really get back to a normal sleep pattern until my youngest hit five. Oh, gosh. Like, yeah. That's when everything sort of settled down. You get into coping and coping's just fine. Oh, hi, Heathcliff. Hi. Do you think he knows my voice like Bernie did? He probably hi. does. Yeah, he probably oh, does. Oh, sweet pea. The knowing of voices is the most incredible thing with babies because it's so fascinating. And this has happened every time we've had a baby, and I obviously talk a lot for a living. Right. But when they hear my voice, when when you have them and they come out, they're just kind of crying and everyone's crying and everybody's, you know, there's just a lot of excitement. <laughs> In the room. And then when the baby hears mama's voice really clear, it's like they just go quiet and their eyes get big and they just turn and they're like, that's what I know. And that's what I want. That's what I know. Where is it? It's just, you just gave me, you just gave me goosebumps because (laughs) I think that's one of the questions Ian has been filling in for you. And one of the questions I asked him was, aren't you, we did an episode on fatherhood and I said, aren't you envious that I can have a baby and you can't? (laughs) (laughs) And he said, absolutely not. But it's what you just said is that's the gift. And I think if mothers could remember that in the hard times, because you're exactly right. They're looking for that voice. Yeah. They're looking for that womb. And that's a miracle. And that's amazing. And what a gift to us as women that we put these little beings out in the world that they're looking for our voice. They're looking for that comfort. I mean, that's just, you make me want to cry, Elizabeth. (laughs) It is sweet. You know, I think you remember that every bit of you feels like home to them. So that's their home. And that's that's kind of an interesting perspective to have as we talk about best to the nest, right? Yeah. And that idea of your we want to be our best selves at home with the people we love the most, right? We want to give that our best and then everything else gets the the sort of overflow um, that we talk about. And it's an interesting concept when it comes to newborns, which, you know, I hadn't thought too much until now about that. The baby looks at you as if you are their home. Yeah. And so what does that mean in terms of taking care of you? That taking care of you is really very important. You know, I've been reading all these things. Um, I'm reading this book on breastfeeding that one of our former guests, Kate Dubler, recommended to me. And so I'm re, I read it while I'm breastfeeding, which feels very meta and obsessive and, um, (laughs) (laughs) like too much, but that's what I've been doing. And in this book, they were talking about the idea of the fourth trimester and how it's really supposed to be all about mama and baby bonding. And it's, and in many cultures throughout most of history that 
there has been this time when a newborn comes into a family that the mothers and the grandmothers and the aunties and the sisters and the friends all gather around the new mama and the new baby, and they take care of everything else in the house that needs to be done so that for those first 40 days, mama and baby just basically stay in bed and nurse and cuddle and just continue that sort of womb relationship. And I've been thinking about how far away my life is from that Yeah, and how it's like when I started reading about that and then I read about it in a couple of other places and, and I was like, I've done three loads of laundry today, done the dishes, made breakfast and, and what? That's what I've done. You know what I mean? That's what I've done. And I think it is a reminder that slowing down and accepting help and trying to outsource things as much as you are able to do right. is really what you need to be doing for yourself and for the baby at this time. Do you hear Heathy Boy grunting, grunting? <laughs> oh, he's so cute. You know, I think that's so important, and I never thought of it as the fourth trimester. And I love that language. And I, the fact that we don't talk about it that way, but it, it, I don't want to like get you started on maternity leave but but oh, that I'll goes go. back you know. I, but that goes back to that point and again that same pediatrician who I loved in Nashville told me after I had my first oh, 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 oh sweet pea what's he doing he's nursing what else is he's, he doing oh he's, he's nursing yeah of course i mean um, this is what one to oh here okay sorry all the no. mamas out there who have um, who Take are breastfeeding are going to feel like their milk let down. <laughs> oh, 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 that's right. Go, that's right. We're going to try to get a good burp during this podcast. This is this life, is awesome. guys. When you're podcasting, this is where we are. Baby. This yeah. is where we are. Mm-hmm. But he was my pediatrician, and this would have been in 1991. Was adamant that the first year of life was the most important year, and wow. was so angry. That women didn't, many women didn't have the choice to stay home for that first year. And I look back at that now and I think that's incredibly progressive. It was either really progressive or really conservative. You know well, what I mean? I don't know. Or it's just he's Canadian. I mean, yeah. like maybe he just yeah, he's exactly. Canadian or Danish or Finnish or should I list right. all of the other countries that, um, that support working mothers better than our country? Because I could go on. But I, but you think about that idea of a fourth trimester, of really being able to allow that baby to feel home, to feel the calmness of home. But, but yeah, but how are you taking care of yourself? I've been, I really have been trying to sleep whenever I can. Well, that's good. I, um, you know, I've just been trying to kind of listen to my body. Like when I, when I feel like going out for a walk sounds good, I go. And if it doesn't, then I don't. Right. And then really just bringing it, like ordering in food, you know, and not cooking as much is really helpful. I've been doing that. And then it's been really wonderful that my sisters have had babies within the last few months too. So we've been kind of talking a lot about how things are going and then I've gotten to spend some time with them. And I, I love, I love being off work and I love my job, but I also love being able to just be home and just focus on the baby and kind of look inward. Yeah. And there's something nice about a little break from the public life. 
right. that I have. So that's right. so that's been a real joy. And we we've just been kind of hunkered down and doing our thing and and it's been good. And then I had a pretty quick labor, which was great. Yeah, tell me about that. I was induced. I did end up being induced and and the same doctor was there to deliver Heathcliff who delivered Franklin, so that was great. Oh, that's nice. We were so lucky that we got to have her and, and things were, I got into, they start the induction process at like nine o'clock at night. Right. And, and then by one thirty, I was like, nothing's really happening. And then at about four, it was, oh my gosh, things are starting to pick up. And I finally got the epidural and got comfortable by about 6.45 in the morning. Right. And he was born at 7.17. So, wow. Yeah. And oh, that's this fantastic. is always my advice with epidural is I should take this advice. Ask for it early <laughs> before things get to the point where you're doubled over crying in pain. Pain, um, yeah. Because if you're going to pay for the epidural, you might as well maximize your time with the epidural. I think that's really good advice. I think that's great advice. <laughs> I think so too. But he was born and it was it was two contractions and two pushes each contraction and oh he was out. Oh my God. Yeah. And oh my God. So he just showed up quickly. And so it was a little tough because I had that overnight of, of no sleep to recover from. Right. And that part then, you, you know, it takes you a few days to get back into the game. But it was definitely by, by Tuesday, I was out for a walk with my sister, which was really nice because Amazing. it just wasn't those, that long, long labor, which believe me, I had the first time and I don't want to relive that. Yeah, that'll knock you down. So for a geriatric pregnancy. Geriatric, you got it, girl. <laughs> this you went pretty it. well. It did go pretty well. Still, that is still so awful. They need to change that language, honestly. You know, and I kind of, I had this, this sort of moment about my age. And I know I'm not the only one around here in this community who has had a child close to 40. And more and more women are doing that. You know, the average age of women giving birth is certainly getting older and older. It's probably double what it was 150 years ago, don't you think? It it actually could be. Because if you think about girls having babies at 14, 15, and 16. Yes. Yeah. Oh, my God. I know. Crazy. So I had a, a Facebook friend who I saw, it was very sad. She posted about her father passing away. Right. And, um, and it was just, it was a beautiful tribute to him. And, and it was, it was sad. But as, and as humans do, I of course started relating it to myself because right. we're selfish right. beings. Right. And I thought, I looked at his picture and I thought, well, he's pretty old. Like he looks pretty old. Right. To have passed away. So. It looked like he lived a long life. You know, it's different when you look at a picture of a person. Of course. Who looks long in life, who yes. has passed away versus someone who's very young because you feel like, well, I hope you had a really, you had a long, beautiful life, you know? They had their chance. I Doesn't mean, they... make the loss any easier for <laughs> no. the people who loved them, but it does just, it's comforting to those of us versus like you died at 40, right? Right. Right. So I see his picture and I see that he was 79 years old. And so I go, okay, well, that kind of makes sense. And I was like, wow, he is, you know, her dad was pretty old. Right. Because my dad just turned, my dad's birthday was yesterday and he just turned 66. And, and then I thought, well, wait a second. Is she's Uh-oh. my age. Uh oh. So Uh oh. Here goes the 40, math. Right. And I'm coming yeah. up on forty in the next in the next year. Yeah. So she's forty. So that would mean that her dad was thirty nine when he had her. I am currently holding my newborn. And I am thirty nine. Yeah. So when I am seventy nine, 
this child will be about 40 and here I will be. And it was just this very odd roundabout in my brain of sort of, wow, look at how fast the time is going to go. And it is the real deal that I had this baby at 39, which is much different than like my dad who just turned 66 had me at 26. Right. And, you know, I had my children in my one when I was in my 20s, in my late 20s. And I think, or I think I was 26 or 27 when I had my oldest, the, the upside of having them. And that, you know, I always think that's so young. It's really not. I think yeah. it, but it was young compared to my friends. No, For I was sure. the first one to have babies. Nobody yeah. had babies. And I will say the upside of that, there, there are upsides and downsides to, to either way. But the upside has been that my oldest son is 29. Yeah. I'm 56. I know. He knows his he knows his grandmother. I mean, that's sort of the cool thing about that is my mom's 87 and they're buds. And so that's kind of cool because that's the other factor of like when you have a child when you're a little bit older, mm-hmm. how long and I don't mean to say this about your parents, but how long will they know your parents? For sure. How long? And so that's been that's been sort of one of the upsides is that is that and that, you know, when I was when I I think I was 48 when we sent our youngest off to college. So that's going to blow your mind a little bit, Elizabeth. <laughs> I know. I know because so, I'll have an eight-year-old. <laughs> <laughs> but we've often discussed the upsides of having children later in life. It, it totally is. There There's, are a lot there of There are upsides and there are downsides to you both You just don't want to do the math a lot. You really no, don't. you don't want to do the math a lot. I mean, I think no. your perspective is a little different. Like I look at my life when I was in my late 20s and I, I think I'm. E- it's easier for me to – focus on them than it would have been if I was in yeah. my 20s because yeah. I was still much more in the me zone. Right. But the fun thing is seeing the kids with Heathcliff. Bernie is five and a half and Franklin is three, a little over three, and they just adore him. They adore Aww. him. Franklin calls him Heafy Boy. Heafy Boy. <laughs> Oh, he, I love you, heefy boy. He just loves him and they want to cuddle him and they're good oh, helpers. What and- is with your family? It's nicknames. It's like a, the greatest thing. Buddy We're boy. Nicknames. We give I, big names and they all I have know. to have nicknames. I know, but buddy boy. I mean, it's just the cutest thing because that's buddy what Bernie boy, calls Franklin, right? That's what we all call Frankie is buddy boy. A lot of people at daycare call him buddy boy and um, <laughs> he is well known as buddy boy. And then Heathcliff is now being known as Heathy boy. And Heathy that's boy. what that's what Frankie calls him. And it's oh, just it's very so sweet to see them just love him and um, and be excited about him. And the nice thing about kind of the slowdown with this COVID pandemic is we're home more. I mean, Bernie's right. home more. She would be at kindergarten. So she's spending more time with him than she would have. And, and Franklin, thank goodness, is going to take care full time. Right. Because otherwise no, I would be losing my mind. Oh, yeah. You <laughs> need, you need that. Mind. Yeah. yeah. Does, um, does, is Bernie old enough to be helpful? Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Oh, that's great. Totally helpful. 
and like it's it's been fun now because Heathcliff is almost a month. As we're right. recording this today, he will be a month tomorrow. Aww. And and so he's just starting to come to life a little bit. He's right. liking to spend a few minutes, not a ton of time because he gets overwhelmed and overstimulated, but he's liking to spend some time just laying down with them looking at him and talking to him and he looks at them and engages with them. Oh, and that's, that's so cute. been really fun. I mean, he's not smiling or anything yet, but you can just tell that he's starting to wake up. Right. And, um, <laughs> he's like, where the hell am I? He's sleeping on me. So he's definitely not woken up, but he, um, that's been really sweet is to start to see them relate to each other. And when we brought him home, you know, and then you, you see your next smallest child and you're like, you are giant. Franklin's head <laughs> is as big as a large watermelon. Unbelievable. And it grew well, that we way did. in just two days when I was at the hospital. We do, we do know the Reese Reimers children have big broadcast heads. I mean, this is something you and I used to talk about. I have a little head, you have a big head. Yeah, that's but true. But it's perfect for broadcast. It's perfect. They can be broadcasters. They can be on television. Oh, but gosh. it is, but I, that is such a weird perspective because yours are further spaced than mine. I mean, Campbell and Gar are two years apart. Yeah. But to have a five year old and a newborn, Whoa! I know. It's just now, how is Jay doing? I think this is this is a lot. Three is a lot. How is yeah, he handling? Is a lot. Jay, he's doing well. He loves Heathcliff, and he's um, well. Let's hope so. He's so happy that he's here. I think Jay is like a lot of men. Let's promise that Jay doesn't listen to this. Where change okay. is hard. Change right. can be hard, and right. there can be this like, well, what about me? Because all my attention is on the baby, you know, yeah. and yeah. on myself. And so there's been a little bit of that where I've had to say, okay, hey, <laughs> it's yeah. not about you <laughs> at all. And not Nothing any about of this. right now is. So yeah. that's just the way that it goes. And, you know, and I say that not to like make him sound bad, but just to make it sound real because that's what it is, that you have to work through things and any change, even good change, is just hard. I and think it's a- it takes I think it's a little dis- reset in your relationship. Yeah, I think it's disorienting for men. Yeah. I, I do. Think so I too. think I think it's and I don't and I've tried to understand this, especially when I had younger children. There's something about when you have kids as a woman, it really the sacrifice is easy for kids. Yeah. It yeah. just it doesn't it feels like breathing. Yes. And I think I don't know that that's the same with men, which doesn't make them better or worse parents. It's just different. And I think Ian, too, had to adjust to my priorities because before we were married for six years before we had kids. And I would have to be honest and say, you know, I was a young, selfish 20-something. The priorities in our marriage were me. And then you and the marriage. So it's like, I mean, that was like how it went. And that was fine because we didn't have kids. So it was like me, you, marriage, good. Yeah. And so then you the didn't kids, feel that low on the totem pole. Didn't, no, it was just, it was like, but the kids come and he would, he was very, he's a very good communicator. And he would, even as the kids, I mean, it didn't really change like after the newborn phase. It really didn't change much ever because I would prioritize them. often over our relationship. Right. And I think he was always the one that was really communicative about, okay, things are feeling a little out of balance. We've got Mm -hmm. to get this back into balance. And we can 
we're not going to talk about it, but we can talk. I'll just talk about it in vague terms. But I mean, when you talk about a relationship, it's what changes with your husband is time spent talking to one another just between the two of you. Time spent talking about things other than children. So that changes. Suddenly, most of the conversations get dominated by what has to get done and what the kids need, not about their day or your day or anything that's vaguely interesting in the outside world. And then I think what changes is sex. That changes in a big way. And I think that that's a really, that's a really complicated conversation with a new mother who, and, and I'm not speaking for you, but I'm just speaking in general, for new moms who basically, I think a lot of women feel this way, don't want to be touched right now. Oh my gosh, because you're touched all the time. Like I yeah. haven't had a moment where Heathcliff isn't right on me and yeah. you're totally right. It is... I think there's a couple things at play that there is a fascinating instinct that kicks in with moms. And I think I told you about this, that we, Jay and I watched Jerry Seinfeld's very funny last comedy special that he put out and it mm-hmm. was on Netflix. And he did this bit where he talked about when his wife gave birth and he was an older father. I mean, he got married like mid forties, I think. Right. Yeah, and, he was. Um, he was. Older. Yeah. And so then he has, they have this baby and he said this amazing thing happened. And Jay and I were laughing so hard when we watched this because Jerry Seinfeld was talking about how his wife just kicks into gear and just immediately knows what to do. Right. Right. Just like something happens to her. The baby comes out and it is like, she you know, that's still challenging, but she, she knows what to do. Right, and, right. And Jerry Seinfeld says, I'm standing there and I'm going, I'm still the same guy. <laughs> I have no idea what I'm doing. And we were laughing so hard about that, watching that before having this baby, because that's exactly yeah. how it was with Jay, where I could immediately start to kind of go, and he went to the classes with me, you know, and I right, could immediately right. start to go, okay, here's what we're going to do. Like, here's what to do. And he just kind of stands there. And is the same guy. guy. And then he hasn't gone a through a transfer. He hasn't gone through the transformation no, of having no, a human it. come out of his own body. He like forgot to go through the door. So he missed <laughs> yeah. the transformation. And yeah. then I think there is also this fascinating instinct that takes over. I mean, there is a, everything in your body is meant to protect and help this baby, yeah. right? Yeah. And so you can perceive anything as a threat. <laughs> And frankly, I do think there's something like in your body that shows that if your partner is distracting you from what the job is that you need to do, which is take care of the baby, that there is this feeling of, okay, wait a second, you're causing this to be harder for me. So you're like, when you think about your instincts, like you're the enemy, I have to take care of this baby. This baby is everything. Every cell in my body is saying, help this baby live. Make this baby survive. I mean, that is what happens to you. You are an animal at that point, you know? I mean, it's an instinct that takes over. And so I think that whether or not you're communicating that to your husband, they feel that. And there is a separation. There's just a separation. And fortunately, as you have more children, hopefully your spouse or your partner or whatever is able to understand that generally, hopefully, with some effort, you come back together but there is that time where it's just – it's about me and Heathcliff. It's not yep. about me and Jay right now. It's just not because we have a four-week-old. That's how it goes. You know, I have never heard it explained that way, but I think that's exactly right. It's so primal and that instinct to care and to make it a bubble between the two of you. Yeah. 
is so instinctual that that is the cutoff point. And I think you're exactly right. And that when I think back to sort of how Ian felt or what he would communicate is he felt a certain amount. He felt shut out. Yeah. And he always said he felt better once I stopped breastfeeding because then he could feed the kids. And that was the beginning of feeling a little bit like he was a part of the game. But yeah, no, that's a really interesting explanation. And I think there's a lot of truth to that. And I think it's necessary because life is fragile. Life is fragile at that point. You have a four-week-old. You're exactly right. You need to protect him. You need to grow him. And that's your job. It's a, it's a really, yeah, that, that newborn time. I don't know. I think it's why you just have to give yourself so much grace and so much. If you're going to break down, you're going to break down. And then the next day, you just have to take it one, one day at a time. And, and it's, it's, is, he is, he little heathy boy. (laughs) He's on the hiccups right now. Heathy boy. You want to say hi to everybody? Hi, Do you Heathy. want to? Oh my goodness. <laughs> Do you hear the snorts? Oh yeah. Oh. <laughs> I know. I know. Oh, he's so buddy. beautiful, Elizabeth. And I'm it's been good. I have just loved watching from afar and I just you take as much time as you need, but I'm so glad that you had a moment to to tell everybody how you're doing because I know that people are interested and thrilled just as I am. Oh, I love it, Marjorie. I'm happy to be back with you and these conversations I miss so much, even though it's only been a couple of weeks. I know. And, um, you know, Feels what, like he's forever. behaved himself pretty well, so I think that means we can maybe do another one. What do you think, Heathy? I, yeah. I think I think Heathcliff should be a part of these for a good long year. <laughs> I don't have any problem with that. I like the gurgling. It's it's like this really nice sound effect. I mean, we talk about motherhood. It's like putting in a sound effect. This is motherhood right here. Yep. Sorry to all the mamas out there whose milk let down while you're in the car. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> I had forgotten that. I totally forgotten that trigger. Oh, that's so bizarre. Uh, if you are enjoying this podcast, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and give us a review at Apple Podcasts. Find us on Facebook and Instagram at Best of the Nest or go to bestofthenest.com to subscribe to our newsletter. We are the podcast. We really are the podcast that brings you home. <laughs>
Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus, and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit LiveXLive.com slash podcast one to learn more and start your free trial.